when they asked Jesus about the signs of, the, of his coming and of the end of the age and this was his answer. This is Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8. Take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. If we take these words in isolation. I'm not getting movement here, John. Let me try again. Sorry? Are you doing it from your mandolin? All right, okay. All right, so that's what Jesus had to say in Matthew 24. And uh, when you look through those different things, you could, you could look and say, well, you know, when, when is this going to come about? Because if we took these words in isolation, it would be hard to pinpoint exactly where they fit into God's prophetic plan. There's always been wars, always been famines, always been different forms of pestilence and so on. And certainly some of these things that Jesus predicted almost seem to fit events that have happened just in the last 100 years. In that time, there's been at least 21 false messiahs claiming to be the Christ. There have been two terrible world wars and there's been famines, there's been earthquakes and a second global pandemic, of course, which we've only just experienced around the world. But Jesus said of the time he was describing, all these... All of these combined are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains, it says literally. So, what did Jesus mean? Well, uh, ladies will probably say, I, I don't fully know what I'm talking about and it's true. But we know for a lady, the pains which come with childbirth start in a moderate way and the pains are somewhat intermittent then they increase in intensity and they become closer and closer together until they reach the highest point just before the time of birth. Jesus spoke of these prophetic birth pains as just the beginning, a starting point for the time of sorrows which was to follow, increasing in intensity and culminating eventually in new life with the second coming of Christ. Now, when we harmonise these words of Jesus with the book of the Revelation, they best fit in the first part, the opening part of the tribulation period which is yet to come. So, what will happen as that time approaches? Well, we can work out from Scripture that very soon after the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, moves to the side a powerful emerging world leader whom we identify as the Antichrist, will make a treaty or an agreement with the nation 
of Israel. Daniel 9.27 calls it a covenant with many for one week. And we understand that one week to mean one seven-year period of time. Through his growing authority and his influence, this leader will literally agree to protect Israel, probably right at that point, allowing them then to build uh, the third temple on Mount Moriah. That's when we believe it will probably be built. And while his patronage at that time is welcomed by the Jews, Paul warns them that when people say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman. They're, they're Paul's words, 1 Thessalonians 5.3. So when they think everything is going to be safe, that's when the real pain begins. What Jews do not realise is that this covenant marks the commencement of the time we refer to as the tribulation period. So let me give you a definition of the tribulation period. The tribulation is an unprecedented seven-year period upon the earth beginning with the signing of a covenant with Israel in which God pours out his wrath and judgment on unbelieving Gentiles and through trials prepares Israel for her Messiah. So just let that sink in. It's seven years in length. It begins with the signing of the covenant with Israel. God's going to pour out his wrath on the nations and he's going to use this time to prepare Israel for her Messiah. Now let's consider for a moment where the tribulation actually fits into the prophetic plan of end times. So here we have Christ's return in the air, the rapture of the church. I spoke about that last year when I was here. We then have the rise of Antichrist. We have tribulation on the earth for seven years. Christ's second coming to the earth his kingdom then for a thousand years, the final judgment, the great white throne judgment and then new heavens and a new earth. It may be helpful right at this point in time to ask why is it to be such a time upon the earth? And uh, the answer to this has three parts to it and as we consider these parts I want you to notice the repeated imagery of a woman being in labour or in birth pains. It's, it's just repeated. So here's the first part. This will be a time of reckoning and retribution for sin across the world. Isaiah writes in chapter 13, verses 6 to 8, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp Every man's heart will melt and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. And then down in verse 11, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Now while these are very sobering words for what's going to happen to the world, we remind ourselves of this wonderful assurance to believers given by Jesus himself. Revelation 3.10 Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world 
to test those who dwell on the earth. The second reason for the tribulation. This will be a time of trial and and, uh, preparation for Israel to receive her Messiah. Jeremiah writes in chapter 30, verses 6 and 7, Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labour with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labour and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it and it is the time of Jacob's trouble for he shall be saved out of it. So here the prophet speaks of a unique time of trouble and then deliverance for the Jewish people. The third reason for the tribulation is that this is the time to bring in everlasting righteousness spoken about by Daniel the prophet. Daniel gives us a prophetic timeline for the nation of Israel when he says this in Daniel 9.24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So we believe that this is going to be the period of time that brings in the everlasting righteousness. So what happens during the tribulation period? Now it's not easy to say exactly where and in what order every single event that's mentioned in the Revelation is going to take place. But let's try to make it as easy as we can to understand by splitting this seven year period into three parts. The first half, the midpoint and the second half of the tribulation. So in this message tonight I'm dealing with the first half and then on Wednesday night we'll deal with the midpoint and the second half of the tribulation. This whole future time is referred to by some people as the apocalypse. You've probably heard that saying. We don't use it very often in uh, Christian uh, preaching but the apocalypse, this word comes from the Greek word apocalypsis and it's often translated as the revelation or the uncovering or the unveiling. So much of the specific detail we are going to study uh, tonight comes from the book of the Apocalypse or the book of the unveiling or the book of the Revelation. And by the way, it's not Revelations, plural, it's the Revelation is the name of this book. If you'd like to turn uh, in your book, if you've got your Bible with you, uh, I'm going to go now to Revelation chapter 5 because as we come into this period, it's really essential to see how God has placed these things into his word. You see, chapter 4 and chapter 5 of the Revelation prepare us for the commencement of the tribulation period by giving us a glimpse right into the very throne room of God. And here in this place, we find that only the Lord Jesus Christ can open the sacred scroll that's sealed with seven seals which will unleash the first group of judgments that come upon the earth. 
As Jesus takes the scroll from the hand of the Father on the throne, worship erupts in heaven. So now we're in Revelation 5 and verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Come down to verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. That's very significant because as the Lord is about to reveal the destruction and terror of this unique time, he shows us right from the beginning he's on the throne. He shows us right from the beginning he is in full control. He is the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord. And we need to remember that as we go through and look at the things that are going to come upon the earth. From chapter 6, the seal judgments usher in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. As we consider these details, remember those events, uh, these, these events here correspond to the time which Jesus referred to as the beginning of sorrows. So as the first seal is broken, John writes this, And I looked, And behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So in this scene with the white horse, we are foreseeing here the Antichrist. He's depicted as a leader who goes out on a white horse, a a conquering one, though probably not with open warfare at the start. It says that... uh, uh, A crown was given to him and then he went out conquering. So he probably received his crown and received his initial position through deception. This will happen in the the first half of the tribulation period. Daniel 7 verses 8 and 24 tell us that Antichrist's conquest will involve subduing three kings and then gaining control over seven other kings or seven other nations, ultimately forming a federation of ten European nations. Now, realise the Antichrist will arise out of Europe. Uh, That's according to the prophecy uh, of Daniel. So, this prophecy also uh, was uh, prophesied by Daniel when uh, he gave the explanation to Nebuchadnezzar of the dream of the big statue. And when he got down to the, the, uh, the second last of the kingdoms to come, there was this kingdom that involved the feet of the statue. And that feet is made up of a mixture of iron, 
and clay. And we believe this is the revived Roman Empire which will be the empire, if you like, of the Antichrist. Why a mixture of iron and clay? We don't know exactly except that it tells us that the iron and clay don't mix very well, as you could well imagine. And so it could mean that some of these are democracies in inverted commas and some of them uh, are, uh, have uh, di- dictatorships. We don't know exactly but we know that there's going to be something about how they come together. Yes, they will work together but there's going to be some uneasiness in that, that binding together. After this, Revelation chapter 6 tells us of the opening of the second seal. And now we're in verse 4. It says, Another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So as this seal is opened, open warfare now is breaking out across the whole earth. This is the time that Jesus referred to as Wars and rumours of wars, nation will rise against nation from uh, Matthew 24. This is going to be followed soon after by the third seal. These seals come at a regular interval and as we get on and we go through the judgments of God we'll find they come at at an ever-increasing pace just like childbirth eventually becomes faster and faster. So the third seal, this is going to reveal dire conditions which will now appear across the earth probably because of all of the warfare that's going on. Verse 5 says, When he opened the third seal, I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. So with this seal and the next seal we see that there's going to be severe shortages of food and then illness spoken of by Jesus as famine and pestilences. Just as an aside, you will have noticed that ever since Ukraine was invaded by the Russians, there was a lot of difficulty getting the grain out of Ukraine and Ukraine is one of the world's greatest suppliers of food grain for around the world. And so people were starting to starve in different places around the world until an agreement could be made with the Russians to allow those grain ships to go out from the port. So if that happens with just the Ukraine being involved in war, imagine what it's going to be like if warfare breaks out right across the whole earth, nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The fourth seal now brings the spectre of a rider on a pale horse and he brings an incredible loss of life. You see, these things all match together. We've got the rising of the Antichrist, we've got war breaking out and a terrible war that's going to affect nations right around the world. Then we've got famine and now we've got death following. Verse 8, And the name of him who sat on it, that's on the pale horse, was death. And Hades followed with him. Hades is the place Nowadays we would understand it as the place of the unsaved dead but just in writing Hades, the place of the dead. Death and Hades followed with him and power was given to them 
over one-fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now this is a terrible image. It's somewhat like uh, what we remember years ago, uh, the Grim Reaper, when that uh, image came onto our television screens. But in this case, it suggests that as many as a quarter of the world's population may die at this point in time. Currently, there are 7.6 billion people upon earth. So that suggests we could be talking as many as 1.9 billion people passing away in this early part of the tribulation. You see, Jesus said this is going to be a time like no other time and never there would be another time like it. It's unique in all history, unique in eternity if you want to put it that way. Now what about the Jews? Because concurrent with this time, this is in the first three and a half years, we know that Israel will have relative peace because the Jews are living under the patronage of the Antichrist. And they're even worshipping in their new temple now. We know that the temple worship has begun and we know this because of something that's coming very shortly with regard to the temple. There will also be many people who come to genuine faith in Christ very early in the tribulation period. How do we know this? Well, we know this because with the breaking of the very next seal, the fifth seal, we find tribulation saints now being martyred for their faith. John writes, Revelation 6, 9-11, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And we're told that a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little while longer as there were others yet to share their same faith. Probably around about this time, in spite of Antichrist's patronage, Israel will be faced with the threat of invasion from the north. Many ask about the uh, Ezekiel uh, invasion. Uh, When is this going to take place? Well, we believe it's going to take place in these early years of the tribulation period because Ezekiel prophesied that in a time of peace for Israel, this is what it says in Ezekiel 38, verse 14, Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal would come against Israel. So a time of peace. It actually says in the scripture that that their walls are down. So they're not expecting to be invaded. They're not expecting this to happen. This is not what's happening right now with Russia, but it's Russia that will be involved coming in this direction and there will be others who will be joining with them. It's a coalition that's made up basically of Russia and the Muslim nations that are to the north of Israel. So how do we know this? Because the scripture tells us. Now, Gog, G-O-G, is probably a title. It's a, a title for a ruler, we believe, and he was the ruler of the area known as Magog. Magog is believed to be part of modern-day Russia. Rosh is believed to be the southern part of Russia. Meshek and Tubal are part of modern-day Turkey. Some of these things we know definitely. And then 
In verse 5, Ezekiel mentions five other nations. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Goma and Togoma, or if you like, Iran, Sudan, the eastern part of Turkey and coming into the Ukraine and then Togoma, that part of Turkey, Turkey near the Syrian border. So we've got this coalition that's going to come down and they're going to try to invade Israel. So Israel will be faced by overwhelming odds. This is, this is a huge force that's going to come down to attack them from the north. But we know that Israel is going to survive this huge offensive because she will be supernaturally protected by God. And if you know anything of what has happened with Israel since uh, Israel formed again as a nation, you will know God is supernaturally protecting that country. He's doing something there and he's providing miraculous answers to the oppression that comes from outside. Both Joel 2 and Ezekiel 38 speak about what's going to happen. Joel 2 and verse 20. But I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land. Ezekiel 38, 18 to 23. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel says the Lord my God, that my fury will show in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And then it goes on to say in verse 20, all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. So all of nature is going to go into uh, convulsion when uh, this particular earthquake takes place. Nature is just going to go crazy and this huge opening is going to come uh, in the land. All men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. They will know that what has taken place here has not been anything they've ever experienced before. Now this protection of Israel corresponds to Revelation 6, 12 to 14 or the sixth seal which also speaks of amazing and powerful upheavals on earth and in the heavens. In this account also a great earthquake convulses the crust of the earth and Revelation 6.14 says every mountain and island was moved out of its place. That's amazing. I don't know if you've ever heard anything about what happened with, with Krakatoa uh, up in, in, the, in the Indonesian area uh, when it exploded uh, in the late 1800s. Uh, they say that the sound was so large it could be heard in Melbourne. And the cloud that went around the world as a result of that, they said, went around the world for several years later. That was the largest sound that they they believe ever happened upon earth in the history of mankind. But every mountain and island is going to be moved out of its place. This is going to be an earthquake like you wouldn't believe. The main target of judgment from God at this time, as we're talking about these things, seems to be the nations of the world. And what's going to happen? Isaiah writes in chapter 26, Verses 20 and 21. 
Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And Revelation 6, 15 to 17 adds, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? So people are going to know this is not natural. This is supernatural. Now at the same time that people all over the world will be facing God's wrath, remember that Israel will be saved from the invading armies from the north by God's intervention. And when this takes place, faith in God will probably grow rapidly amongst the Jewish people because they've seen this miraculous intervention when, when tens of thousands were coming down to destroy them. Now this faith will also be enhanced, we're told in Revelation 7 and verse 3, by 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Described as the servants of our God who are sealed, it says in verse 3, and protected by God and then sent out to serve Him. So I want you to think now in the world we've got this great tribulation has already begun. There's a lot of destruction, a lot of people are dying, things are going crazy in nature. And amongst the Jews, they're back worshipping in their, in their uh, temple. And, and this army comes down and God stops them from coming any further with this great earthquake. And then there's 144,000 of them raised up to be witnesses to Yeshua, to Christ. The context implies that this great number of Jewish believers in Messiah will also reach out to the nations around them and great multitudes will come to know the Lord as a result of their ministry. John is given a heavenly glimpse of these believers we're talking about in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 where he says this, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now we go down to verse 14. These same ones are described now, and listen to the wording. They're described as the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They come out of the tribulation. This is not the church we're talking about. This is talking about those who come to Christ during the tribulation period. So the scripture is very clear. People will come to faith during the tribulation but it's going to come at very great personal cost and even more so as the work of Satan through Antichrist intensifies. And now Revelation 8 and verse 1 says to us when he opened the seventh seal 
Remember, these are seals, judgment seals. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So it's like there's a pause. Somewhat like the calm before the storm. Seal 7 is actually a time of preparation for now the next round of judgments to come and they're going to come even faster now. These are called the seven trumpet judgments and they're even more severe than those which have passed and they're going to touch every part of the earth. Now you can read about them in Revelation 8 and 9. For the sake of time, I can't go through every verse of this obviously, so we won't go into great detail, but let me sum it up for you. What we can say about these judgments <coughs> is that they come in quick succession and they involve three areas. The first one is this, devastation upon the earth and there's going to be hail, fire, a third of the trees and all the green grass is going to be burnt up. There's going to be a great burning mountain that's thrown into the sea. Some say perhaps this is a massive volcanic eruption. It's going to cause one third of the sea to turn red like blood. One third of the sea creatures are going to die and one third of the ships that are in the sea are going to be destroyed. So it's going to be cataclysmic in itself. Then there's going to be strange phenomenon in the heavens. <coughs> with a great burning star falling from heaven, probably a meteor in this situation. It's going to poison one third of the rivers and springs of water so people will not have good drinking water. One third of the sun, the moon and the stars will be darkened. And then the third phase, which is numbers five and six, strange creatures are going to be released. Something like locusts are going to come from the abyss and they'll be bringing judgment and they'll be bringing torment on those and this is what the scripture says, those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Thank you. With amazing detail, Revelation 9, 5 and 6 Tell us of this torment. It will be for five months, so we know exactly how long. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. You've got to remember this is God's judgment. We don't even begin to understand the judgment of God. We, we know nothing of the judgment of God. We, we talk of Jesus saving us from judgment, saving us from hell, saving us from the penalty of sin. We don't even begin to understand the judgment of God. So we don't even begin to understand the greatness of the grace of God in Christ. A time will come when these things will come upon the earth and we will realise, oh my goodness, only because of the grace of God that that was not something that I went through. But when God releases his judgment upon the earth, we've read of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what happened there. And you see the destruction of some of the armies that came against Israel. This is going to fast surpass this and it's going to involve the whole world at the same time. An army of 200 million creatures. <coughs> now we don't know 
exactly what these creatures are. Some think that they're men, some say they're demons, some say they're demonically possessed people. But they're going to be released to kill a third of the mankind, numbers of mankind who are still on the earth. So there's more people being killed. So the pains of tribulation are building more and more in intensity. Right about this stage, you're probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And for the young people, they're probably thinking, oh my goodness, what have we got to look forward to? Well, right in the midst, as God often does, right in the midst of proclaiming judgment, he also proclaims something about himself. He does not leave himself without witness to remind us of how great he is. According to Revelation 11, also in the early uh, part of the first half of the tribulation, God is going to raise up two special Jewish witnesses uh, who will work powerful miracles in Jerusalem. These guys are going to be amazing. They will be like the prophets of old. When they say for it not to rain, it won't rain. They can call down fire from heaven. These are going to be very powerful men. They will be clothed in sackcloth and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. We are given the exact number of days, which in the Jewish calendar, remember a Jewish month has 30 days, uh, that's exactly three and a half years. Their ministry will probably end about the midpoint of the tribulation period. So there's much yet to come uh, with the power and uh, evil rule of the Antichrist which is about to be thrust upon the inhabitants of the earth. But before that part of the revelation is introduced, here we're reminded that all honour, all glory, all power belong to God. So it says this, with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, there's a great declaration of impending victory. So this is Revelation 11, 14 and 15. It says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So we're hearing a word from heaven right in the midst of it. It's Christ who will be the ruler. Christ will be the ruler. All the wickedness of this world is being judged and swept aside and a time is coming because the kingdoms of this world all belong to Christ. They become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Three and a half years have now passed in the things that I've just shared with you. And we've now reached the midpoint of the tribulation period. Uh, Much has already happened on the earth, uh, but many believe there's a distinction made between the first half, which is referred to in the scripture as tribulation, and the second half, which is referred to as great tribulation. So why has God given us so much detail as we just wrap this up for tonight? Well, first of all, He's given it to us to warn that he is just and that unbridled evil and the sinful ways of mankind will surely face God's righteous judgment. We're seeing a lot of evil 
in our world. I mean, there's always been evil in the world right from the, the, the time that Adam fell into sin. But we're seeing a lot of evil in the world right now. Things that are happening that some of us who are a bit older, we shake our heads and we say, I could never imagine that having taken place uh, sometime in my lifetime. I, I couldn't have imagined it. Society is changing quickly. Our world is changing quickly. Watch AI. Our world is changing quickly. How can you kill so many people so quickly? If you have a look at the weaponry that's being developed with AI, where you don't even need a man to tell a machine what to do. Uh, This is not just Star Wars. This is happening in our day, right now. These are the things that are in in our current history. Not even... We don't know when this is going to be. So now is the day of salvation. God wants us to know. Now is the opportunity that we have to turn our hearts toward him, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his grace, to receive Jesus Christ as our saviour. And what does he ask of us? To repent of our sin, to turn our hearts back towards him, to acknowledge he is almighty God, to acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves and to receive his gift of salvation. It's the only way that we can escape if we live to this time. It's the only way that we'll be able to escape this great tribulation which is coming upon the earth. So now is our opportunity to do that, to turn our hearts to God. This this information also shows us that God is faithful to his people Israel. And and, uh, through trial and testing, uh, he'll draw many to himself. As we've already heard, this is happening in Israel as we're going through the first part of the tribulation. Hearts are being turned back towards the Saviour. That's not all Israel will be saved yet. That comes in the second half. He's also given so much detail in his word that those people who find themselves (coughs) in the tribulation Perhaps it may be a relative who right now says, yeah, yeah, I know, you believe that, I don't believe that, or yeah, I've got some questions, I'm a bit interested, but not now, later. God has given so much detail in his word that those who eventually find themselves in the tribulation period uh, might know that God has already foretold all this and as they see its fulfilment in their world around them, they might place their, their faith fully in God and be some of those ones who come out of the tribulation and be saved in that day. The fourth thing that I see here is to remind us that in the midst of persecution and all that the world may throw about against us, Jesus is going to triumph in the end. Jesus is going to triumph in the end. As I shared with the folks who are here this morning where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Satan is not going to win this battle, folks. Satan is nowhere near as powerful as God. But God has foretold these things are going to happen upon the earth. And then Satan, of course, will be dealt with, the false prophet will be dealt with, the Antichrist will be dealt with, the sin of mankind will be dealt with, and we can talk more about that as we go through our our messages on Wednesday. In the next message we're going to see what happens at the midpoint because that's when Antichrist comes to full power and then what happens in the second half of the tribulation period. Let me pray 
as we draw to a close for tonight. Heavenly Father, as we come uh, before you, we readily acknowledge, Lord, some of these things, uh, as we hear them, it's a little bit like a horror movie. We see these things, we hear of these things and we think, oh my goodness, how bad this is going to be upon the whole earth. And that's exactly what our Lord Jesus said about it. Never a time like this before and never a time like it again. It will be a unique period in history when we have the consummation of human history and we have the inauguration of the kingdom that will last forever and ever. So Lord, we bow before you and we acknowledge if if not for our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we would not escape the wrath But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we escape the wrath of God, that we are saved, that we belong to you and that you are eternally our God and our Father and our King. We commit ourselves to you. We ask your blessing to be upon us. Father, I pray that nobody will go home afraid but will go home in the confident knowledge that God knows these things and God reminds us in the middle of it all that he is on the throne. So may you be glorified, our Heavenly Father, because you're certainly worthy. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.